Hello and welcome to Better Words. My name is Caitlin and I'm just a bookish babe. And I'm Michelle and I'm from the Unfinished Bookshelf. You know what I have realised the past couple of times that I've edited these episodes? That every time we say that, Mm. one of us, whoever starts, will be like, and what have you been doing? Because like we don't know where to go after that, (laughs) even though we just say it. And then we're like, okay, now we start. (laughs) Uh, I'm struggling this week because I have sinus. Mm. So I am a bit all over the place, but yeah. That's all right. So I'm not really bringing anything to the table in this cheery discussion. That's okay. Um, The main thing I want to discuss in this discussion, well, actually two things. So the first thing is that I think I mentioned last week I'd watched Doctor Strange. I have since like this week I watched Thor Ragnarok, (laughs) yes. So now I am very ready to go see Infinity War. I'm so excited. I already have my tickets for myself and my brother to see it in 3D. Can you take Jack with you, please? Sure. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to go see it. (laughs) I mean, I already bought our ticket, but, like, you can come. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, you know, how we talked about movie adaptations. Yes. Last week. Um, Another one that I haven't read the book of but I watched, again, for the first time in, like, years um, with Jack this weekend was The Lovely Bones. Oh. Have you seen it? I have never seen or read that. It's so, so sad. That is the only thing I know about it. And it's very like both of us were getting quite anxious towards the end because it's like neither of us can deal with suspense. Like I feel like that's worse than a gruesome scene for me is the psychological suspense. like when you're like, Oh, what's going to happen? Oh, what's yeah. going to happen? What's like, happen? oh, my God, she's in the house. Oh, my God, he's going to find her. <gasps> Get out of the house. You know, like you just, it just freaks I me out. I love the thrill oh. of suspense, I think. <gasps> I'm not into the gruesome stuff. I don't, no, I don't, it's not that I like it. I'm just saying like I you can sit through that without feeling as sick in the stomach as I do when. Oh, yeah. yeah no, definitely not. I yeah, definitely like I can go for a suspenseful. No, I yeah. can't. No, I can't deal with it. I can't deal with it. It, just, <laughs> it makes me feel physically anxious and like wow. I'm having a panic attack. It's horrible. Oh, no. <laughs> so no psychological thrills to me. Um, the Lovely Bones is a beautifully filmed movie though and a beautiful it's a beautiful movie. It's just so damn sad. Mm. So sad. Yep. So yeah, that Fair was enough. a bit of a, a bit of a downer. But on the positive, this week we finally finished watching Gavin and Stacey together. Oh yeah. And of course Jack loved it because it's the most brilliant TV show ever. And <laughs> um, we also watched the comedy stand-up special from Greg Davies called You Magnificent Beast. And they just added it on Netflix and it's so funny. So he is the guy from Cuckoo, which we watched not long ago, and it was just really funny. Oh, that's good. I love him so much. I do love good stand-up comedy. That was – you. I wasn't going to mention it, but you just reminded me. Um, I mentioned before that I watched Eliza – um, what's the first one called? Confirmed Kills. I mean, no, the – yeah, oh, Confirmed Kills. Yeah, like that's the newest I, one. Yeah, I yeah. watched Freezing Hot um, last week. Yes. So funny. <gasps> pin, 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 pin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Girls can smell fall. <laughs> like a leaf turns colour. It's fall. <laughs> oh, no, she's oh, really funny. And I is. think, I don't know, the way she does, you know, make fun of women for all those sorts of things and then be like – I don't know. Somehow it's still empowering. I don't know how to explain it. Well, she talks because, a lot like, about it, it herself, yeah. about how she changed her views and stuff. And I think, like, yeah, everything's kind of I don't of know. I think it's because it really is like laughing at yourself sort of thing. And like if, I don't know, if anyone else was to like, you know, read the transcript <laughs> of her of her, yeah, I think- of her specials or her, her comedy, it would be like, Oh my god, how rude. You're so offensive. And with Eliza, it's just like, oh, you're so right. It's so funny. Do you love though? Like my favorite bit about Freezing Hot is the whole like how she brings it back around to like doing this breakup. And then she's yeah. like, What's my middle name? That was the <laughs> best. And it's just like boom. That was it's so, so clever. It's so, so clever. I love it when comics can do that and can and bring, bring like things. the first joke back yeah. out. And then you're of. like, oh, 
you're so clever. Yes, <laughs> I know. So good. We've actually been watching James Acaster as well on Netflix and he does that really well, like mm. this weird thing that's happening at the start and he brings it back. Like I just admire that so much yeah. because it clearly takes so much planning but they do it so effortlessly. Exactly. It sounds like they're just talking about nothing yeah. and, then and then it all like, connects oh. and you're like, oh, hilarious, so yeah. funny. So good. Yeah. yeah, there's not enough British comedy, like British comedy stand-up on Netflix. On Netflix. On Australian for, Netflix. Yeah, yeah, for what is out there, like Lab mm-hmm. at the Apollo and stuff like that. Like they definitely could add more, but it was nice to watch Greg Davies' one. It was very funny. Cool. Very, very funny. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's fun. That's kind of been my week. <laughs> yeah. I don't really have that much else to mention, except, of course, that we are both currently reading Neverland. Yes. By Margot McGovern. So good. Yeah. (gasps) If you are listening to this on Wednesday, Better Words Day, the day this comes out, you have two more days to finish reading Neverland. Actually, if you're listening to this in the morning, you have like three because we're going to chat on Friday night with Margot on Twitter very, very special Twitter chat all about the book and you can ask her all the questions you want. We'll have some discussion questions and you can join us for that using the hashtag BWBookClub. Mm-hmm. The time is to be confirmed <laughs> because we're really slack and we forgot to organise a time. I'm guessing though it'll be somewhere in the vicinity of like 7.30, 8 o'clock, so... Keep an eye out for an official time announcement. But, yep, you know what you should you, do Friday to check evening. this official time announcement is go check our Instagram and Twitter right now at Better Words Pod and follow us. So then you will find out the time. <laughs> Wouldn't that be convenient? <laughs> um, so, the other, like, we're really excited this week to talk with. Gabrielle Reed, whose book The Things We Can't Undo is out very shortly. Uh, but just want to warn people before we get into the interview mm-hmm. and the discussion that it does touch on some difficult topics. We are talking about trigger warnings actually as part of the discussion. But just so that you know, it is a book that touches on some very difficult subjects, but it is very, very worth reading. Yes, definitely. And I think worth listening to. Yeah. So we um, hope you enjoy it. Our guest this week was born in Yorkshire but moved to Australia as a young child. Her love of writing grew from there and she's been dreaming of becoming an author ever since she was seven. She holds a Master's of Creative Writing and a Bachelor of Arts with a Diploma of Education. Right now, she's celebrating the publication of her debut young adult novel, The Things We Can't Undo. Welcome to Better Words, Gabrielle Reed. Hi, thank you for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. Thank you for joining us today. Yeah, and we're so excited because I think this is the first time um, that we have actually got like a a new novel or like something new that's actually happening out on time um, because we're doing this episode as part of your blog tour, which is so exciting. Yeah. And we have talked to other people who have, you know, just written books or, you like know, just launched, just launched businesses or whatever, mm. but I don't think we've been this timely before, which is very <laughs> exciting It's really us. exciting. <laughs> so you got to read an early copy as well. Yes. yes. And yeah. we loved it. We really, I mean, it's very, it's hard to say you enjoy it because it is, really hard hitting but like we did enjoy it as yeah. much as you can enjoy a book that has such nothing so we'll get into that a bit we'll get into that a little bit later in this episode but let's start with your writing journey so obviously you have had a, a love for writing for many many years yes um and been writing since you were little how has your approach to writing and reading sort of evolved um I think when I was young I just wrote for fun it was very much a imitating what I loved so I was always um, a big reader and so then it was just kind of natural that I would then try and write my own things Um, and in school English was my best subject and I did a lot of creative writing in English I did I don't know which state most of your listeners are in but um, in New South Wales we have extension to English which is um, like a major work project so I did that when I was in year 12 and um, yeah it was just sort of something that I kept doing and kept loving and when I did my undergrad I very much 
wanted to study English and wanted to keep doing some creative writing, but was like, how do I get a job out of this? And yeah, so from there, it's just been one of those things that I did in any time that I had time to and kept pursuing as much as I could. And then when I had my kids and I wasn't working anymore, it was, um, yeah, sort of try and write it around that time and try and find some other writers who could give me feedback. And it's been a goal for as long as I can remember. <laughs> That's so exciting because now you do have a published novel. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's still a little um, so, <laughs> Yeah. Does it still feel strange like holding your book in your hands? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and talking to people who have read it? <laughs> well, I think you guys are actually the first people that I've spoken to who've read it who I don't also know in real life. I mean, aside from my publisher um, and the editor, it was very much sort of the only people who've read it are people who I could just as easily have emailed a copy to. <laughs> or so, yeah, it's, it's a little bit bizarre kind of talk to people. Yeah, oh, I, well, we're on it. Hey. <laughs> I think... We get that too because, like, sometimes, like, our first feedback that came from someone on this podcast that wasn't, like, our parents or yeah. our friends yeah. or people that we'd made listen to it was really lovely. So, yeah, it's it's funny when you finally it goes outside that little circle that it's been in. Yeah, definitely. It makes it, makes it feel that little bit more real of, hey, I've actually put this out into the big wide world and someone other than my kind of immediate circle has read this <laughs> yeah so as we said it's it's out uh on the first of may yes yeah so um can you tell us a little bit about the story for people who haven't yet read it but hopefully we'll go out and grab a copy and how it sort of developed because it's um yeah it's a really interesting and very timely and topical novel yeah so it's people ask me what it's about and I sort of have this awkward pause where I'm like well it's kind of a little bit about date rape <laughs> and, and <laughs> um but it, it really does focus around that issue of consent and of, of what it means to get that active consent and I think for me um a lot of that questioning came when I had my son because up until that point, any sort of thoughts around um, sexual assaults and uh, I suppose feminism and, and sexual pressure and all those sorts of things had been a lot more kind of personal of, of how do I feel, how do I protect myself in the world? And then I had this little boy and I was like, how do I make sure that he grows up being someone who respects women and I started to think a lot more seriously about the messages that young men were receiving um and as a high school teacher as well I was like listening to the sorts of things that teenage boys can get away with saying in the classroom and wondering the sorts of things that they say to their friends and I started thinking you know it's actually there must be decent guys out there who you sit down with them and you ask them face-to-face -face or something, would you ever rape someone? And, of course, the answer is going to be no, but the statistics don't support that. So I started thinking about it, I suppose, from, from that angle and thinking about what would it be like to be this guy who doesn't intend to hurt somebody but does. And that's really, I suppose, the direction that the book then continues with. Um, and it does look at it from both angles. So there's my main character, Dylan, who is, I suppose, I don't know if I should use the word perpetrator or if that um, labels too much and, and, and kind of sets it up for, for other people. I prefer readers to make up their own minds about what happened. But, um, yeah, so I look at it. That, that's written in sort of first-person narration and every second chapter and follows the aftermath of what happens to his relationships, to the people around him, um, to his family and his reputation. And then the alternate chapters are in an epistolary format and they look more at the girlfriend, Samantha, and how she responded to everything. And, um, 
yeah, the effect that that took on her mental health and her trust in people and her friends as well, particularly her best friend Taylor, who is sort of my teen feminist <laughs> voice. <laughs> um, and she makes yeah. mistakes. They all make mistakes, I think. Yeah. Um, I think that's kind of the, the idea behind the title of The Things We Can't Undo, that everybody's going to do things that they kind of wish that they could take back. And obviously the most obvious one is the thing that Dylan does, but Samantha takes a step that can just never be undone and, and really mm-hmm. ruins a lot of lives around her as well. And Taylor starts to do things that she then loses control of. And so yeah. there's a lot about control right, and, what, yeah, what we can control mm. and what we can't. Yeah, and that was really interesting. I did really enjoy the format of the um, of the book. So, as you said, um, with the chapters with Dylan's for like his point of view, and then the alternate chapters with um, it was like letters and um, messaging, like on Facebook and like Facebook posts, and even like, like school reports. Yeah, school reports and like assignments that the kids had written and police reports. And oh, it was it was really interesting because that brings in a lot of other people's perspectives, um, mm. not just Samantha's, like, mm. you know, the outside views from, like, teachers' emails and things like that as well, which were really interesting, um, like a really interesting contribution to the story about how everyone does have an opinion on what's yeah. going on, whether or not you think they do. And I think what what this book highlights is that it's such a grey area. Like, like you said, you don't want to use a word to label Dylan because – I mean, as you said, one of the main things is around consent and we've got his point of view and from his point of view the sex didn't, it didn't look like rape Um, and from his point of view. Yeah, it certainly wasn't something that I think a teenage boy would would label as rape. Yeah, and I think that's what's really interesting because I feel like there would be a lot of women too who may not label that situation. I know especially like maybe not our generation but say like my mum's generation and I've I've got this perspective too. I've just read um, The First Stone by Helen Garner and, and that talks about that too, that idea that she even says at the start of the book her and her friends are all talking and they're like, gosh, when we were, you know, first like um, not first wave feminism, like second wave feminism like in the 70s, you know, that sort of stuff. You just grew up with it and you dealt with it and, like, everyone got touched on the boob and everyone. everyone And it was, like, it was. It might have, like, in this situation with Dylan and Sam, you know, 30 years ago it might have been a situation where a woman was just, like, yeah, well, like, sometimes it's just an uncomfortable situation. sometimes that's just what happens. Yeah. Sometimes you just regret it. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's what. I think you're right. And I certainly had, um, I suppose, in my writing group there were, Beta readers and things who who read it and that first chapter was kind of always the one that I would present and not say anything about and just wait to see what what reactions were and it, it definitely did be along age lines people more who are sort of at university now and who've been growing up in more of a um I don't even know how you describe the ones <laughs> that we're growing up in but but with this backlash and, and who are familiar with things like movement who would have this one um reasonably strong opinion of like I can't wait for Dylan to get you know what he deserves and slapped in the face over this yeah and then you'd have other people so um some of my readers who were a fair bit older who were going "Mm, that's a really gray zone and I don't think that you can label that way because she didn't say no and she didn't push back and and that um and that was really kind of the core thing about this she didn't say no it was kind of the repeated line Throughout yes, the whole story. Yeah. yeah. I think it I was... had a really interesting experience reading The Things We Can't Undo because at the same time I was reading The First Stone, which deals mm. with this. And, and Gabrielle, I don't know if you've read it and I don't know how many readers I have it, unfortunately. I'm going to have to It's now. very, no, no, it's, it's like very, I would say quite, it's quite old. And the copy that I got was from a lecturer who was like, um, read this and, and see what you think. It, it has a lot of conflicting feelings and um, I, I'm yet to look up what how Helen Garner's views of this have changed over the years, but I understand her approach has changed. But at, as a snapshot in time, she was looking at a case in Melbourne, a real case where 
a college master had danced with a woman, uh, one of the students, and had allegedly touched her on the breast. And I say allegedly because it went through court and he was found not guilty. Um, So... Obviously, there's a lot of conflicting opinions there, and there there was a like there was a campaign to get him out and to make him lose his job at the time, and then there were a lot of like he obviously said he didn't do that at all, and there was a lot of conflicting opinions, and I felt like this was a very similar situation where you have two very strong sides, mm-hmm. uh-huh. very very strong sides of belief, um, and a situation yeah. where really it's it's hard to say. Yes, and reality doesn't always fit very easily into those black and white labels. Mm. No, of um, course not. And like so that was I think that I found really interesting was the way you could see all the different characters, I guess, opinions and how they had interpreted the situation um, and how, you know, because of different reasons people had drawn different conclusions and that reading that and all the different sides, you know, like I changed my mind about three times. Yeah, I, think. I continually changed my mind, and I think the ending left me feeling like that as well. Like some of the the messages at the end from um, the supporting characters, mm. I, I just was like, oh, like this makes like just. But I think that's the point. Yeah, just, you know, to you, think about it's it and very try and understand a complex. Bit more. So why? Do yeah, you very wanna- much. I wanted. I wanted those conversations and I suppose like you write a book and it's in one sense it's a passive thing reading um (laughs) sorry not a passive thing like a personal thing yeah Um, you read by yourself um but people do discuss books you guys discuss books obviously (laughs) um and and that was really I suppose I wanted those conversations to start and I wanted people to start thinking about things from the different angles and and not necessarily making up their minds straight away because I think we do live in a world where there's this big push to take a side and to, to make up your mind and um, yeah, and even have before we necessarily have, have the facts. Yeah. Um, so if, if you're still not sure at the end of it, that's fine. That's absolutely fine as long as you thought a bit deeper about it, I suppose. And I, I presume you were writing or at least editing this um, in – in the midst of the whole Me Too um, reporting? Yes. Uh, I suppose at that point we were at editing stage and I was pitching. Yes, I was pitching to my publisher. Yeah. And I thought, um, wow, for once I've actually written something that, like, timing-wise is, is a little bit convenient in terms of, of sales and marketing. And well, it's so hard, book. isn't it, because you, the, the time for a book to be published is it's such a long process. <laughs> Yeah, and it's absolutely um, a like something that you can't predict. You can't predict what's going to be relevant um, in in the moment. But I think it is a subject that should be relevant to everyone at any time. And so, um, yeah, I, I wrote it and I started editing it before I knew that. Obviously, no one knew that that, that, that was coming. But yeah, to then awesome. see all those people step out and say, you know, this happened. This happens to me. This happens to almost every woman, um, I think then helps to give credibility, I suppose, to to some of the views, particularly people like Taylor, who mm. um, does come in with a very black and white understanding of, you know, did you agree to this? If not, that's it. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. I yeah. did kind of love how straight she was with some of those things. I um I think there was one point, I think this is at the very beginning of the book, so I hope this isn't too spoilery, but um, she says, I think when she's talking to Sam about it, she's like, oh, my mum says um, if if both people aren't really into it, you should stop because the worst you end up with is like rape and the best you end up with is just bad sex. And I was like, that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I loved that line. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, I mean, Taylor's mum is me, really. <laughs> <laughs> They're all me a little bit, but... Um, yeah, that was very much something that I that I think that teenagers don't hear enough. That they're like, you know, it's not even just about whether you could be labelled as a criminal. It's about are you actually going to have something that's enjoyable at the end of the day? Mm. Um, and ha- how can you enjoy it if the other person is miserable? <laughs> so, yeah. 
So you're you're a teacher as well. Do you think that there's enough discussion of those sort of grey areas and, of course, the issue of consent in traditional sex education in our schools? It's hard to say. I don't teach PE, PDHPE, which is the subject that in New South Wales that um, sex education would happen in, um, and teaching English. Obviously, you talk about the themes of whatever book you're studying. So it comes down to the individual school and teacher as to whether they'd be studying something that that would approach those questions. My instinct from talking to some friends who are PE teachers is that no, they probably don't go into um, consent and I suppose the reality of, of sex beyond contraception and um like STDs, STDs and all those. It's very much yeah. the physical side of things yeah. rather than um, the other side. And perhaps there might be kind of a, a specialist day or something, a police officer might come into the school. I even remember when I was in high school, a police officer coming and, and talking to us basically about how we could protect ourselves in, in situations where we were high risk of date rape and like, like literally, literally really just how to escape the room. Was that? Um, do you do you remember though? Was that just the girls who got that talk, or did the boys get that talk too? Well, I was at an all girls school. So. Oh, me too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. However, yeah. I've mentioned it to my husband since, and he was at an all boys school, and he said that he thinks that that he had the same guy come or a similar guy. Um, and I was like, oh, what did they talk to you about? And he was like, oh, just about you know making sure that. Um, but I don't even remember exactly how he put it, but it, it was basically not getting too carried away. I think was the way he might have phrased it. Yeah, yeah. Because um, I'm not entitled to something because you bought her dinner. Exactly. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have heard. I've, I listened to. I listened to so many good interviews on Control Alt Delete. I'm always banging on about it on this podcast, but I listened to a great one. Um, which we'll link in the show notes, and it was talking about consent education in schools and the fact that there were some schools that this particular person, and I can't off the top of my head remember who it was because I listened to this like more than a year ago, but she was saying Mm -hmm. that in some schools like the boys would be allowed to go out and play footy or whatever and it would be the girls getting the talk about how to protect yourself and it it, it brings it back to like it's your fault if you get raped because you Mm. didn't do enough. You wore a short skirt or you had a drink or you accepted a drink from a guy, which is definitely the wrong the wrong way. Like we really need to to bring in that ish bring in education that's like, you know, a lack of a no doesn't mean a yes. Yeah. Which is what most people it's like and that's the discussion in the book. She didn't say no, but she didn't say yes either. Um and really interesting thing. Do you think from like from a just from a personal perspective, but also you know, your your work as a teacher, do you think that there would be any benefit to introducing sex education at a younger age? I'm not sure it's, it's the think- age that's the problem. Like my understanding, again, in New South Wales is that uh, year eight is when they do sort of the basic sex education, STDs, how to use a condom <laughs> type business. I don't think we do um, it ten. I don't remember okay. when I that was. I think it might have been year nine and nine or ten, but I definitely had a, a drama class of year eight a few year back, years back who had come in after PE and they were all bully because they were in that talk. Oh, it does, that <laughs> yeah. does happen, doesn't it? I, um, yeah. I don't know about younger age. I think that generally they probably should be more in the standard curriculum. Um, I went to a same – I went to like a – I was about to say same sex school, but I didn't. That's not the right <laughs> it was word. Co-ed. I went to a co-ed. School, that's what I was trying to say. <laughs> yeah. um, and I do remember um, some sexual education classes in year ten that we just did, like in our homeroom, because we had like a lesson that was like in your homeroom every week. Um, mm. I think we just did that then. I don't remember all that much about any of it because like a typical teenager, I think most of us kind of block it but still remember some of the stuff. Um, but <laughs> I do remember about year five was when we started the, I guess the 
puberty sort of section of sexual education, which is like where you learn about like getting a period and all of that sort of yeah. stuff and, and how, how babies how pregnancy are made. works and all of yeah. that general stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I don't think that that's um, too old. Um, no, to be honest, most, a lot think, of girls in my class had already had their period by like year five. You know, people, oh, okay. there are people, you know, I was scrawny and tiny, so, like, I would definitely had not. But, like, I had so many girls in my class who were, like, much taller and, like, you know, it's like your rate of growth. I was I was in. It is, it I was just starting grade younger. seven. I was 11. Wow. See? I was in year eight, I think. I was, like, 15 because I'm small. Oh, you're so lucky. <laughs> <laughs> That's the fact because, like, mine were always horrible. So I was just like, oh, yeah, I hate you a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> well, That's all right. I, it's I hate every other mum that I talk to who's like, oh, I think my period's coming back and their baby's like two months old because I've had three kids, every single child, within six weeks of birth and I was exclusively breastfeeding. So, you know, breastfeeding's not an effective contraceptive either. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, I knew that and and why I'm going to tell you that. So you just had a baby and you're like, I'm not going to feed anytime soon. But anyway. That was a bit of a, a detour there. No, I, I don't think it's necessarily a matter of age. I think that content-wise, there probably is a better focus on the physical and on um, prevention of sexually transmitted infections, diseases. Yeah. and it's probably a lot um, of focus on the, um, I want to say, like, the logistics, like all the yes. statistics and all, like, the technical, mm. I guess, like the technical stuff of, um, yeah, like what can happen, which is mostly like STDs and pregnancy and like things like that. There's not really a lot of discussion about healthy the emo- relationships. Yeah, healthy relationships and the like emotional side of Actually, everything. There is yeah, a really great just- program that the Queensland police run and I don't know whether other police forces run it in different states, but it's called Love Bites and I've helped them promote it. Like I've done stories on it at work almost every year since I started. Um, and that it it is all about healthy relationships rather than and and they go into some really difficult stuff like where a woman has been murdered by her partner um mm. in a domestic violence situation but then also things like you know financial abuse and emotional abuse it's not just mm-hmm. again it's not just that idea of like being hit is about like it talks about all different types of healthy relationships and unhealthy relationships yeah so I recently read um one of us is lying I don't know if you've read that one anyway uh, uh, I think I've seen it but I haven't read it well there's a relationship in that um where there's a breakup because the girl cheated on the boy but there's this scene in it where he's talking to her and the way that he's belittling her and how she's feeling and how she's just got this absolute sense of worthlessness and if he doesn't love me then no one will that made me fear that she was about to be hit and and that this was about to go into physical violence and it never did and I was like I wonder if that needed to be actually explicitly labelled somewhere is this is a form of violence and abuse, the way that he is emotionally treating her and speaking to her and making her completely doubt her worth because the reality is for women in domestic violence situations that it doesn't start with hitting. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that took a dark turn. (laughs) All of these... um tough topics um a few of them are as we have discussed at great length already um mentioned in the things we can't undo um and there are trigger warnings at the back of your book about some of them um so the placement and the style of these warnings and whether they should or shouldn't be included um I mean it's a bit of a topic and you know a debate about how to do these kinds of things how did you come to the decision on what to do about that uh, look, I'll be honest, that was a compromise. I had, I, to me, I thought I wanted to both balance the not spoilering things for people and um, wanting to be able to warn people who, who were going to have an issue. And so I had originally put those specific warnings in the back of the book and a note at the very front of the book on the first page that said trigger warnings are available for people who need them at the back of the book. Because to me, I was sort of like, you don't want to read that after you've already read that section. That's not going to be helpful. Um, 
and it was a conversation with my publisher and, and he wanted to take them out. And I think to do with sales and um, he sells a lot to schools and libraries and things. And so he was very concerned about gatekeepers, I suppose, um, particularly with Catholic schools. And he was like, if we put something like that at the very start of the book, that's just going to scare them away. And I was like, yeah, but yeah. And in the end I sort of went, I, I'm totally new to this and you're not. <laughs> and um, I will go with that, but um, in any publicity that I do, I'll be quite clear that, you know, this is this is a book that deals with some tough topics and yeah, trigger um, warnings are at the back if you want to. Trigger warnings are at the back if you think you're going to need them. There's also a list of um, phone numbers there, that, like contacts for mm-hmm. uh, services of, of various kinds for, um, yeah, different different issues that might be there. So, yeah, it was a compromise in the end and I had wanted to have something at the front as well, but um, that's not how it ended up happening. But anyone listening to this, if you think you're going to need trigger warnings, Turn to the back, please, before you um, start well, exactly. because, because there are some, some know where they are if um, as long as people know where to check these things if they want to. I think mm. that's, you know, helpful. And the trigger warnings are at the back are without, I guess, spoil, spoiling the book is an issue. I hadn't really considered that as well mm. because you don't want to ruin the story, I guess, and you still want people to think about these topics um, and the situation. Um yeah, so there's one particular part, um, I suppose, like there's an incident that, that's right in the middle of the book that I think if everybody knows that it's coming, a lot of the emotional intensity of that's lost, but there are some people that are going to need to know that it's coming. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that was a bit tough. But um, in the end, I think if people know that they're not going to need trigger warnings, then just don't turn there at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but if, if people think that they will for, for absolutely anything and they might, you know, they might be, um, someone that's has that thinks they need trigger warnings for eating disorders or whatever, and they might turn there and be like, "Oh, there's no eating disorders in the book. That's good to know." Um, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Um, I think it, it's interesting though, and I can see where your publisher's coming from because it is a book that you want to be in schools because mm. it is important for teens to think about these things, but. Like they said, gatekeepers. Yeah, because I like the controls that and like, what oh, teenagers read. Yeah, like parents and <laughs> I librarians mean, there and were, teachers. I don't know about your parents, but my parents like did not care because they just loved that I loved reading and they respected that no. I was I was able to. And because, gosh, anything they suggested, I probably like had surpassed that. Especially by the time I was a teenager, I mm. was reading a lot of adult books. I was reading a lot of Jodie Picou and and books with really difficult topics. My parents mm. never really checked or policed what I was reading. Yeah. Although my mum, I remember I was about 10 or somewhere between the, around the age of 12 when I think the fifth or fourth Harry Potter movie came out and mum told me I had to read the book before it came out because it was the first one that was rated M, not PG. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I wasn't. I wasn't so like, al- apart, apart from that. Apart from the fact that I wasn't allowed to read Harry Potter at all until I was 11, which, I mean, actually is quite poetic when you think about yeah. it. Yeah. Um, but, so I was but the fact that I wasn't. Where we grew up with Harry Potter. Like the first book was released when I was about 11, I think. So so I didn't really have that problem because by the time the book started to have the darker themes and be more. You were, you were growing up. You were growing up. But I was, I was working at um, a bookshop when the final book came out and I dressed up as Hedwig for release. That would have been so exciting. <laughs> oh, that would have been so much fun. What was the crowd like? Oh, it was insane. It was the worst thing that happened though um, was that day of all days was when the credit card EFPOS machine signal broke down. Oh, and oh so, no! Like, lines out the door and processing pre-orders and all sorts of swiping credit card things. And, yeah. That would have been so madness. Crazy. But yeah. also really kind of exciting to to do and to be like there when they open up the box and the first books. <laughs> so that would have been oh, so yeah. much fun, though. Yeah, it like it's good so memory crazy. to look back on. Yeah, <laughs> yes. and it's kind of a dumb. It's a little bit of an odd thing to complain about, but like 
I'm too young for that. I wish I was. I wish I was around for some of that stuff. <laughs> well, I remember lining up because by that time, like no, I, I the sixth book was out by the time that I was allowed to read Harry Potter. So mm-hmm. I read all the way through that and then had to wait yeah, for, the for the seventh. And I remember pre-ordering it and all that sort of stuff, which was I remember just fun. didn't dress up or anything. I don't I, do dress ups. No. I remember oh, when you're the- missing out. I do dress ups at any. <laughs> <laughs> I know the setup was great, but I remember when the seventh book came out. I was actually um, it was must have been like the end of year seven, and um, you know, like the oh, what is it called? Um, like the scholastic sort of oh, like the book the fair, book fair book thing. So yep. like you order the books through the catalogs in primary school. So yep. a few people had ordered the last Harry Potter book, and when it arrived, I remember this shocks me to my very core still today. I watched this boy in my class flick to the end and read the last chapter, the all was lost, oh. and I was like, what? are you doing? <laughs> oh, I was so annoyed. I, yeah. I had, um, when I was talking to people, because I wasn't working at the bookstore when the sixth book came out, but I was there when the seventh book did and some of the other staff had been there longer and one of them said that he hated it because on the day that the sixth book came out, a, a kid opened it and started reading like the last chapter in the shop and um, yelled out, oh, no, like the, the spoiler of that book. What a little <laughs> shit. Sixth, and this guy was just like. The fifth and sixth book spoilers was like the craziest thing I yeah. remember. Some I'm of so that. glad that social media wasn't around then. Like it's, oh, yeah. Can you imagine? <laughs> God. Oh, my gosh. Um, I'll tell you anyway, what, was, so, I was in high school at the time. I do remember like the fourth book coming out and that was sort of when the hype had started to really grow and, and everyone was reading it and I'd heard about these books even though I hadn't actually read them up at that point. And my English teacher saying, you know, that she'd heard all these people, like grown-ups, whinging about kids today and like kids don't read anymore and she was like, look out the classroom window when the next Harry Potter book's released at lunchtime mm. and you will see that that's a lie. <laughs> so... So good. Um, anyway, okay, well, that's a little sidetrack. <laughs> um, one of our other favourite elements of this story was Dylan's relationship with his sister um, and how they interacted and how he talked about um, some of these issues with her and how he was feeling. Um, uh-huh. And I, I mentioned to Michelle is an only child, but I have younger siblings. And I was thinking about it and I was like, we haven't really had any of these conversations Um <laughs> I thought that and, that may have been because you're the oldest. Yeah, one. and I, I'm the oldest, and like I don't know how. I guess I don't know how the younger siblings feel because I'm not one of them. But um, we found it really interesting, and we thought that their relationship was actually really nice. Um, why did you? Why did you think it was so important to include that sibling relationship between Dylan and Hazel? Um, I think a lot of the time there's a tendency for siblings to have this sort of cliched sibling rivalry. Um, in books or to just not really be very interested in each other and that wasn't my experience. I'm the youngest of three and my older sister is still my best friend in this world. Um, You know, I was having a a rough day yesterday and she's the person that I'm texting back and forth and who's giving me encouragement about things. So I was like, I, I just want people to be able to see that actually it is possible to have a really nice relationship with your siblings and sometimes um. If you're not comfortable talking to your parents about something, there are other other options, I suppose. Like I, Hazel, to me, is just the sort of like slightly older mentor that I think a lot of kids, teenagers need. Um, and Dylan was lucky that he had a sister <laughs> um, who could be that. But, I mean, when I was a teenager, there were my older brother and sister and I, I talked to both of them about different and maybe not as graphically um, as Dylan and Hazel do. But um, but I also had people like, um, I'm Christian, so uh, youth group leaders. And the, um, like my Bible study leader was 19 when I was about 16. And so she was someone that I talked to about a lot of things. And I just really wanted Dylan to have this older mentor figure to be in there. And for her to be someone who was, I suppose, past that, intensity of feeling about it all and thinking that little bit more critically and and that little bit less black and white but the parents were also of that generation that's a little bit older that's it's kind of like well you know if there's a regret then that's that's not the same as there being you know an abuse or an assault or whatever um 
so Hazel in the book studies social work. So some of her opinions are import, are informed from that. But um, yeah, she she came about largely because I was like, well, a lot of people have siblings and a lot of people have relationships with their siblings, so I'm going to include one. Um, but she was also, I, th- I think, an opportunity to put in a little bit more of that. I can see it as a grey zone. But also I think for her there's a real dilemma there because she genuinely loves her brother and thinks that he's a good person and she's got this this strong sense of family loyalty but at the same time I think somewhere inside her she knows that he didn't do the right thing. Yeah, um, and she, you can see that she sort of struggles with that, that she loves Dylan and, you know, can see her parents defending him to and everything but she still probably does feel that like she knows that no matter what happened that he probably did hurt Sam in some mm. way um which I think was really interesting and also the fact that you know his family I guess to have someone in his family not automatically on his side because mm. you do tend to defend your family no matter what happens and I think that, that was really interesting to explore and the discussion of victim blaming as yes, well definitely yeah like I think Hazel <sighs> Hazel ha- it's probably if it was somebody else and somebody else's brother and somebody else's family, she would be a lot more like Taylor. Um, yeah, it would be different. Yeah. But for her, there really was that strong problem of this is my sibling and you stick up for family and there's this this instantaneous pull of I have to do the right thing by my family first and foremost and then by, like, the world and my ideals and everything um, as well and so when I think about the real life cases families are always standing up saying no this person is innocent and this person's a good person and they don't deserve this and you know the Brooke Turner's father and like the defense that he gave <laughs> you're kind of <laughs> like how 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 can you say that when when he's done this yeah. and he's been like literally caught in the act um but families do. Families have this cognitive distance where they're just like, I can't. I can't accept that about this person because it doesn't fit with my understanding of who they are. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the more family members, the more you can explore that. Yeah. <laughs> so. um, do you think, though, that that wouldn't have been possible if Hazel was not female? So if, if, if Dylan, Dylan had, had a brother... brother. I think it would have been much, much, much less likely to have ended up that way if if he'd had a brother. I think mm. if, it, if he'd had a brother, he might have been more comfortable talking more freely about it. Um, but I think if he'd had a brother, there, there wouldn't have been the kind That's of empathy for Samantha that Hazel yeah. has. Um, yeah. And the challenging of Dylan's belief that he's done nothing wrong. Yeah. Mm. Um, are you working on any new projects at the moment? I am. Nothing that's kind of, uh, I suppose, ready to be submitted <laughs> anywhere right <laughs> really in the editing stage because there's, there's one story that I, I keep getting a little bit stuck in the first few chapters of rewriting them. Um, so, yeah, so... <laughs> so the- <laughs> So and writing, but yes, not, um, ready to. I guess we have when we ask this question, we have so many people, and they're like, "Yeah, but I'm not ready to talk about it or something." It's like, don't want to jinx it. Yeah. <laughs> we well, well, I don't know. I've, I've sort of got to this point now where I'm like, I just want to put that project aside and start something new. So when I was chatting to my sister yesterday, I was like, "I'm thinking about writing a new story and and using you as my." <laughs> <laughs> Basis, and she said something about this letter that she'd wanted. Like, honestly, publish that and watch all this come in. And I was like, yeah, and the lawsuit come with it. Um, so yeah, there's there's another one that I'm toying with in my head that's that's largely about sibling relationships and family relationships. Um, and then there's there's one that I've been working on for a while, but is very slow going. That's about. Um, I don't even know how you, I suppose about different eating disorders, but also about Australia's appalling refugee situation. So 
that, that's about all I'll say about that. <laughs> you don't like to have like any easy topics there. No, not at all. <laughs> because I'm a bit like, how can I write 300 pages about this if it's not, um, I suppose, if, if there's not lots of things to think about it. So mm. I don't know. I don't I, think there's anything wrong with that. That's the <laughs> book that makes yeah. us think. Well, look, the other oh. side of it as well, I suppose, is that I, as a, as a reader and as a writer, um, I'm quite minimal in terms of description, physical description. Um, I don't visualise when I'm reading. So mm. to me something like Lord of the Rings is really boring because, yeah, because I find that very hard to has, get my head around. Yeah, it has so much description around it. So, mm. yeah, I, I suppose I need to write something where there's, where there's lots of concepts to think about and lots of action to include because. Yeah, that's what we like to read. Yeah, well, that's yeah. Good. yeah that's great. Um, so. Where can people find you if they want to follow you and um, follow the blog tour as well? Yep. Um, so I'm on Twitter, probably what I'd use, my, like the kind of social media that I'd use the most. So I'm mm-hmm. read writing there, read with an I-R-E-I-D. Um, I do, I sort of have that up to set up to cross post to Facebook. So I do have a public Facebook page and things for people who are not on Twitter um, and but there's not a whole lot of particularly new stuff on there. I've just started an Instagram that is uh, a little bit a little bit of a mix of kind of anything and everything I care about. You know, pictures of my fountain pens <laughs> and that sort of thing. Um, so that that's really writing as well. Um, I'm just Gabrielle Reed on Facebook, uh, and I do have a website which is www.justkeepreading.com. And, again, the read in that is spelled like my surname rather than like reading a book. Um, (laughs) So the blog tour is going to, I think, 11 different things and there's a combination of reviews, interviews and like um, I'm trying to think what else is on there. There's one that's like a summary post and a giveaway and that sort of thing. So, um, and obviously this podcast. So, uh, I've got the schedule up there that's on my website. Um, that's also, there's a picture of it that's currently my pinned post on my Twitter account. So, if people are looking for it, I will definitely leave that up there. And yeah, you can follow all the other bloggers and readers and that sort of thing because I think even. If I wind up repeating myself a bit, they're all really good websites and places to find lots of other suggestions for great books to read as well. Yeah. Read mine, but, but read other books as well. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. I don't know well if said. that answer the question <laughs> sufficiently. Yeah. And you do have a great name for reading puns because your last yes. name is Reed. I love I know, but, <laughs> but then I have this email address <laughs> because my first initial is G. But it also makes greed. Um, so so yeah I was like yeah I'm kind of greedy yeah so my email address is not super professional looking because it's just that's okay that's allowed (laughs) yeah all right everyone go find Gabrielle and you can also find us at better words pod on Facebook Instagram and Twitter um yeah I don't really know if we have anything else to say. Subscribe, rate, review, all those things. We say the same thing every week, so you should have it down pat by now. (laughs) Um, Thanks so much for joining us, Gabrielle. Thank you so much for having me and for chatting. Bye. Bye.